Hello and welcome to TNT, the technology and things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to another edition of Technology and Things. I am here today with Chris Forbes, who is a, a chief information security officer and executive advisor for Evotech. Hello, Chris. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm good. So uh, super lucky to have Chris on today. Uh, will be joining us with a discussion with uh, Jose Dominguez, who is a chief information security officer for TD Ameritrade. Should be a good discussion. Looking forward to it and uh, kind of diving into uh, all things security with these two guys. So it should be good. Yeah, good deal, Paul. Me too. Jose. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. I like that background. Is that a is that a real background? Yeah, that's. Uh, I was born before the internet. So, it was <laughs> so you know, we only had books back then. You had actual books. That's how. Yeah. I was, that's. I love it. It was a misspent youth. <laughs> I think a lot of us suffer from pack rat itis. You know, where we just keep things forever because we like them. You know, they become a part of our personality. So books collectibles, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I walk into that, I have a little corner part of the house, and I walk in there and I feel at home. My wife walks in there. She does not feel at home. She says, Who, whose home is this? Yeah, exactly. Super boss. Yeah. And, and why am I here? So, Jose, uh, thank you for joining us on our Technology and Things podcast. Uh, really appreciate you coming on today thank you for having me absolutely so what to get started um i thought it would be good if you gave us a little bit of insight into your background kind of where you know how did you come up in the business world um what did you kind of start out doing anywhere you want to go is fine and then we'll kind of we'll we'll bob and weave from there Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, my parents wanted me to either be a doctor or or be a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, if you're willing to pay for college, I'm I'm willing to attempt that. So, but I said I think I'm going to need a backup plan. So I decided to do uh, biomedical engineering, uh, which is early early '80s wasn't exactly very popular. So, uh, you know, I did that. But I took every single elective I took happened to be computer programming classes. Uh, because I said this, you know, this was uh, 81. I think uh, the PC, the first PC was actually getting deployed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I took every single programming course I could take. And when I got out of college, you know, the, the parents were like, okay, now how do you become a doctor? And I was like, well, turns out I'm actually going to be a programmer developer. So uh, started working on Wall Street, uh, you know, sort of as a operations, a sysadmin, developer, a little bit of everything. Um but really enjoyed programming, right? It was uh, it was you versus the machine. Uh, I always think uh, humans are the most complicated machine out there, and uh, but a computer is a lot easier, right? So really focused on that, and I learned the business. Uh, what's uh, what's uh, Wall Street and, and stock market all about? Uh, and got more responsibility little by little, um, and just uh, hired bigger, you know, sort of managed, I should say, uh, bigger and bigger teams. Uh, stayed at you know the first company for about ten years, uh, small uh, brokerage firm called uh, Gruntle, 
and then uh, moved over to uh, a company called Waterhouse Securities, which then became TD Waterhouse, which then became TD Ameritrade. And now uh, I think last year Schwab bought it, uh, became Schwab. Uh, but, you know, did that for about 20, 26 years, uh, development and managing teams, got to do all kinds of interesting things, routing orders to stock exchange, doing a ticker plans that, you know, uh, you know, provided a market value of different stocks, uh, doing mobile development, uh, managing teams that did mobile development. And then about seven and a half, almost eight years ago, uh, uh, some senior managers came to me and said, hey, we've been having uh, some issues with security. We'd like you to lead that team. And I had always read books around security. I had always, you know, sort of, I think it was like the first kid on the block that had uh, the shredder, right? So, uh, I think that was my background for security. And, uh, <laughs> and sure, you know, uh, I'll lead this thing, but uh, why are you asking me to lead the security team? Um, and, and the answer was because it's turning into more of a risk management function, right? It's it's less about being a network expert or being a uh, you know a specific uh, Windows admin expert. It's really more about how do you calculate risk. Uh, we think that's where the position's going, and I think they were spot on. Uh, it's really that's probably what's helped me the most in that position is uh, looking at the two sides of the equation. Yeah, it was interesting. I was, when I was doing a little uh, research on you, the, the, one of my first questions was, why the biomedical degree? <laughs> yeah. And you, you answered that right away. Uh, so you're, yeah, you're in your... I still want to know, when am I going to become a doctor, by the way? Yeah. I haven't given that, that dream yet. So. You're in your backup uh, job right now, it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> or backup career. <laughs> I actually think you're a, you're an early pioneer, um, and you and I are pretty much the same age and went through the same uh, sequence. Um, but a lot of folks in early days of security came from the network and infrastructure teams, right? That's just security was network security. Um, but I think in the last five or so years, they're starting to realize software is more and more a dominant part of our entire infrastructure, our entire landscape. Um, with software-defined everything um, and hybrid. And, and, and so I see more and more folks having come up through the application ranks, knowing everything about it, what it takes to run the business and how the business runs, or being able to apply programmatic thinking to, to how do we create solutions that make us more secure, right? And so I think you were definitely one of the forefront, uh, you know, four leaders in, in that regard coming up through the application ranks and then ultimately, you know, setting your sights on security and risk. Yeah. And, and think about application development world, right? It's, it was all about delivering a solution to the business, right? Where not, not to, uh, you know, cast aspersions on infrastructure or, you know, networking, but it was really, I just want to have, you know, sort of an environment. It wasn't sort of solution specific or point specific. Uh, whereas if you're coming up in the development world, it's, you're constantly delivering, uh, solutions for the business and i think that's what that's what sort of uh has it evolved into now with the whole digital transformation frictionless customer experience it's all about you know the business and how do you make uh i don't want to say life easier for them but it, it's how do you partner with them uh to yeah get, to get done, right i think that that's why i think you're seeing a lot more of that development yeah i think i think the i'm a, I'm a old infrastructure guy and i think we we were trying to put together solutions too but i think you get kind of, uh, you can get kind of uh, pretty far away from the business. You know, you're kind of, you're working with some application people and then they're, you know, it's like, and so I think 
being closer to the business and being able to hear what they're trying to do and not getting it all translated to you definitely, I think, puts you in a better position to be able to kind of, uh, uh, you know, sort of understand where they want to go and what, what are you trying to build? Cause sometimes I, I remember sometimes in, in my career it was like, I, I was like, I wish I could talk to the person that wants this thing. Cause I, it, it doesn't seem like we're, <laughs> we're up, we're building the right, uh, solution for them, but we were kind of too far removed sometimes from, from and, them. And your client, your client was probably an application development guy, right? Or gal, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, you, wasn't the the end user it was you know you oh no 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 yeah generally not it would even it wouldn't even have been necessarily a developer it would have been more of like a a, an application team supporting developers you know it was a couple uh layers layers yeah yeah so which is not really a great place to be uh so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, no, Chris, I think you, you, you definitely hit it on the head there. It was, uh, I, I, I've talked to a number of CISOs in the last year and, uh, a lot of them have come up as developers, um, uh, and in, in the application space specifically. Um, and it seems to be, uh, th- they seem to get it as far as uh, understanding the business and also kind of the, the tech side of things. Right. And, oh. and I, I call it a horse trading as well. Right. It's usually I got X amount of demand. I got Y amount of supply. Like I can get you this, but I, I can't do both. Right. I mm-hmm. got a time box certain things and you start, you start understanding. Uh, I call it horse trading, but it's a, uh, you know, right. Uh, Is that kind of the risk versus reward uh, yeah. conversation? Yeah. Very yeah. similar. Yeah. I also think that, um, being able to be creative when it comes to security, um, both in, in, in resources and, and in prioritization, but also in how you approach it or different approaches to achieving the same level of security, right? Secure the data, encrypt it, right? Or uh, secure the box and, and restrict who can get to the box or secure the perimeter. And, and, and so there's many different ways you can try to build the fortress and, and sometimes you, it's not just one size fits all. We've seen that that old model is easily sort of um, uh, broken with things like solar winds and, and exchange that, you know, advanced persistent threats can sort of get past the defenses and all of a sudden they have free reign or, or much uh, less restricted access, which, which is forcing us to go back and rethink what is, how do I truly secure? What is truly normal behavior? And, and so you're thinking like a programmer uh, from your early days, Jose, where uh, you were solving those types of problems, you know, with the client and said, well, what about this? Well, what about that? So I, I think that that whole process of making sure we truly both understand how the business works and then what are our, our various options to, to securing it, you know, uh, given, given limited resources or challenges. No, absolutely. So Jose, what, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, in, in a in a job that you, like you have, how do you prioritize what to focus on? It seems like there's so many things uh, that are happening um, that could be happening. How do you kind of um, simplify that down and, and, and be able to focus on the things that really matter? Sure. So I, I, I hate to say it's uh, compartmentalizing, but it, but it is right. I think you're always going to have firefights, mm-hmm. right? something uh, solar winds or you remember a couple of years back, shell shock, where 
that wasn't something that was on your priority list, but you got to stop what you're doing because these are uh, high impact and urgent type of items, right? So always know that there's going to be time for that and you got to allocate some time for that. But, you know, how do you get your, your team to sort of, uh, you know, uh, get to where you want to go? And part of that is, is building a strategy, right? Um, we, we sort of started with annual strategy plans. What do we think, you know, where's the, as uh, Gretzky used to always say, where's the puck going as opposed to where you are. So we would do heat maps of every single one of our sort of control and sort of uh, attack vectors and get a sense of where we were green, where we were red. But the key part was just because we were red in something didn't mean that that was an important control going forward, right? The industry was changing, the attacks were changing. So really, even if you were in a green state in some area, you knew as a team, you had to get to another state. So it was, it was really the team getting together to do that once a year. As we did more and more agile, it, we said, you know what, we have to really sort of do that on a more, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I don't want to say intense, but on a more periodic basis. So we started doing uh, OKRs, right? Uh, the famous uh, John mm-hmm. Dewar uh, at Intel and then at Google, uh, where we set quarterly plans. You know, what are we going to try to do this quarter? We set the whole year at a time, but really you probably had 95% accuracy for the first quarter. Your accuracy, accuracy starts getting, you know, sort of worse for the second quarter, the third quarter. But at least uh, you constantly had, you know, what the, sh- the strategy was. And those and are then, shared, right, with with your team. your teams and, and other peers and things like that. Is that how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, both uh, sort of manage it down as well as up, right? You want to tie into what your CIO and what some of your business uh, folks are doing. So the whole firm would do OKRs. Um, but it's a good point. I didn't come up with the OKRs, right? Uh, we, we believe in... Uh, I, I tweaked them a little bit, but uh, we believe in empowerment, right? That whole servant leader. So it was really my directs and their team saying, what do we want to get done? What do we think is important? Some, uh, you know, horse trading back and forth to say, this is what we really want to deliver because you don't have unlimited resources, right? It was trying to pick what's really important to get us and, and to be able to do that. And then the other thing we tried to do was if you have six or seven things you got to get done that are pretty big, you know, don't try to do all seven because you're going to be 10% complete in all seven. Right. right yeah. Uh, you get nothing to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've made a lot of progress. We worked hard, but <laughs> you know, the windows are still open. The front door is still open. The back door is still open. Can we at least close one entry into the house? <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, you know, because, and by the way, I got to tell you, uh, associates get a lot of sort of uh, positive feedback from when they actually finish something, right. Finishing something, Getting it across the uh, the finish line was was a pretty big item as well. So that's a uh, you know long winded. The only other thing I would add is that we constantly measure, right? So you know how often do we meet? My my management team and myself would meet three times a week, right? It was a uh, just a fifteen to thirty minute scrum uh, twice a week, and then a weekly staff meeting to just talk about you know here's the plan, but like all battlefields, never survives, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what are yeah. we doing so a real agile team agility i think is uh you know i think that's the one thing i've seen over the last eight years is just the pace has increased so much mm-hmm. that you can't just you know you have to adjust as well with that pace right i seem to remember that you uh were an early proponent of threat intelligence as well right you, you don't know how to prioritize if you don't know what your enemies or adversaries are doing and and sort of making sure that you you had a, a clear sense of what tactics were changing you know what uh you know, what, where were we most exposed and, and, and making that, you know, the priority for that, that cycle. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Whether it's a, a threat feed, whether it's intelligence feeds, whether it's partnerships with other CISOs, uh, partnerships with the uh, FSI SAC uh, to find out what's going on as well. It's, it's a constantly evolving uh, landscape. And really that pace is, is really, I think, what, what's uh, delineating really good teams from uh, average teams. It's just how, how quickly can you pivot uh, is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, absolutely. It's and one of one of our good partners is uh, Miter, right? Miter comes up with the whole CVSS scores and, and ratings, and they have that whole attack framework, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we we get uh, without revealing too many controls, we, we get a update every two weeks, and we run that against every single capability that we have to see where we're blocking, where we're detecting, um, you know, what are we seeing as any potential gaps? Because you gotta, you know, you gotta constantly attack yourself. Right, whether yeah. it's uh, with the attack uh, framework or a bug bounty program or a red team exercise, mm-hmm. because I got to tell you, there's hundreds of thousands of bad actors out there that are attacking every day. Uh, you better try to do it as well. Yeah, and and I think you guys are pretty advanced that you've actually mapped your uh, your tool stack against the miter, right? So you know where you have coverage and hopefully defense in depth, multiple layers of of, of different controls or where you may be single threaded, you know, I've got one control. If, if they get find a way around that control, you know, we've got uh, some bigger issues as well. So it, it's good that you're actually there. I know a lot of CISOs talk about getting to that point, which means they're now starting to realize the value that, that MITRE sort of brings to, to the planning process. Yeah. And that's, and keep in mind, it's been a seven year journey, right? It's, uh, you know, you start sort of, uh, I think to two original question, Paul, what do you, you know, how do you prioritize it? I think you start at the core, right? Uh, do you have good hygiene? Are you patching all your systems on a very good basis, right? So at least you keep building on those foundations, right? You don't start all the way at the you know, external and try to uh, figure out. You have to come up with a, a strategy to say, let me at least you know, constantly make myself stronger, but at least know that you know, I've got something that's my backside sort of protected, right? So start with the core. Is it Linux? Is it Windows? Is it Mac OS? But at least you have a secure there. Yeah. And, working out until you get some of the esoteric uh, items. Yeah, we we just we just uh, we did a discussion a couple of months ago with some guys that wrote a a, a new book and uh, that they were they kind of analyzed it's called big breaches and they they analyzed uh, like the last 15 years of of sort of the major attacks and so many of them come down to really basic uh stuff like like you said patching you know just some thing just hygiene um, not being, not taking care of so, so many were, were things like that. Um, it was kind of shocking. Yeah. And what, uh, I think Chris may remember there was, there was one of my peers on the development side of the house with Dave Coogan. One time when I was on the development side of the house, we were doing this big rollout on a Friday night. We we're about to change our entire call center from a proprietary application to using uh, Salesforce as a uh, call center application and nothing's working in the first hour right? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's coming up with. Is it this? Is it, the, you know, the, the encryption key is not correct? Is this and this? And, and he had a very stabilizing message uh, that he had gotten from uh, college. He said, look, uh, when you hear hoofbeats, and it's something I think they teach you in medical school. It was uh, when you hear hoofbeats, think about horses. Don't think about zebras. And that's then we said, oh, okay, let's start at the beginning. Oh, yeah, we didn't roll out the, we actually didn't roll out the right, all the packages. So it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a similar, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I, I was hooking up a new setup with my soundboard and everything. And I, I couldn't get the, one of the microphones to work. And I was looking at all this stuff. It was a bad cable. 
It, it was a bad cable. Uh, the the XLR, XLR, XLR cable just, it just, it failed. I don't know how, but because you think sometimes, how could it be the cable? But it, it was the cable. Yeah. <laughs> I got thinking I've got the impedance, the capacitors not matching, the frequency. I, yeah, I was yeah. going crazy. And uh, it was just like, swap this out. Oh, everything's working again. So yeah, totally get that. Um, Jose, t- speaking of kind of the, the, uh, we talked a little bit about kind of how you, you partner with the business and all that. What is, what does it look like with your team kind of, I'm, I'm interested in kind of how you think about growing, uh, new, new leaders, um, uh, upcoming folks in your organization. How do you kind of, um, either identify them or, or work with them to kind of get them to the next level. I'm, I'm just curious if that's something that you've you've spent uh, energy on. I'm, I'm guessing you have. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it starts with you know I think one of my previous bosses has said it, it, you know usually dates slip until I give out homework and a date do right. So yeah. same thing. We start we start with HR right. HR says I need you to have at all times I need you to have a backup plan for each of your uh, management teams right. So it starts there. On an annual basis, we review that to see, hey, if you uh, instead of getting hit by a car, you you win the lottery, Jose. Um, who's your next in command, right? And it, sometimes the answer might be, you know, as we go through our our entire uh, senior management, sometimes it might we actually identify we need an outside resource. We don't have enough depth on the team. Um, but then, you know, step two is uh, when you have your your sessions with uh, your team, right? You start. You know, I always looked at a career path uh, as a two way street. You know, you can have ideas, but you better make sure that those ideas align with what the individual wants, right? So there's some people that are thrilled with what they're doing. They're like, I do not want any more responsibility in life, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm happy doing. There's others that say, I want more. I want a bigger challenge. So it's really having those discussions, which sometimes I got to tell you, growing up in the technical space as a developer, as a network guy, those are those are hard conversations to have. We're not, you know, we're not, as we start, you know, this whole touchy-feely, you know, HR side of the of the equation for management is not something we really uh, some folks are well trained in, right? So it's a it's a hard decision. But you, so first you identify individuals and what they want. Um, we we then help with actually having a company wide uh, um, individual development plan, right? It's an, an IDP where you actually to help you fill in the lines of that, right? Uh, and then you start you know the final sort of cherry on top is you start giving them assignments, right? So if it's uh, you know something that they haven't done budgets well uh, for for my next uh, sort of uh, level, you start giving these uh, these sort of assignments that sort of stretches them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not in their comfort zone, but uh, you know I'll give you a great example in the uh, financial space. Um, unless you're in a in a in a sales position, you really don't have to be uh, certified. You know, in, in, in the brokerage of financial services, it's called a Series Seven. Right. Uh, for operations, I'll have a serious 99. So I had one individual that I really wanted to learn the business and I signed them up for that course. He was not really happy with it. <laughs> a whole bunch of reading he had to do, uh, you know, but I had, to, you know, I had to try to put as many carrots out there. And finally, when 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 he finally completed the course and he passed, um, said, you know, what? thank you for doing that. It, it really opened up what other the businesses do. Right. Uh, what other parts of the business uh, what they're doing. So it makes my risk analysis a lot easier. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's no one usually volunteers for assignments that are outside their comfort zone. Right. It's uh, so you as a manager, you gotta, you gotta have to help them with it. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little nudge. Yes. Have you um, actually started creating more team, you know, cohesiveness or, or camaraderie? We're, we're actually hearing from a lot of folks that in order to retain the talent in this scarce marketplace where people are getting offers every single day, it, it is sort of the loyalty to the team, right? Do they feel like they're in a great team? They like the people they work with. They like the, uh, the work style. So I'm just curious if, if you've actually focused on sort of creating that uh, that fabric that that will hopefully glue people to your organization yeah that's a great point chris i really we didn't use that as the outcome uh, but we started doing that more to just have less tension and making sure we were all pulling in the same direction right so you know my cloud engineer uh, leader may have certain priorities back to what paul was saying you know my uh my event center sock might have different priorities but the sooner we started stacking hands together and say, look, this is what we want to accomplish. Uh, I, I think it started building that team where we're pulling in one direction a lot more, uh, whether it's having offsites on a quarterly basis where we all get together and try to, you know, sort of combine work life uh, type of balance. But we didn't look at it as an outcome of retention, but I think you're spot on. I think, you know, whether it's playing Kahoot and seeing who can beat each other at a, you know, at a certain uh, event as a team uh, to see who's the, quote unquote, brightest in a certain category. Uh, but I think the more you do with that, uh, that is definitely an outcome that you will get in terms of retention. Yeah, I'm gonna date myself. We used to go laser tag and pizza, you know, once a quarter, right? Long before video games. The pizza came after the laser tag, I hope. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, you gotta look for creative ways to get people con feeling connected to one another. Um, if they're just sort of, uh, punching a time clock or something, it's, uh, yeah, nothing's going to keep them, keep them around. Yeah. And it's also, you know, you get, they have different, you know, they have, I don't want to call them priorities, but you got to always put yourself in, in the shoes. So it's also, we also would do things, uh, when we do get togethers, it wouldn't just be, let's talk strategy. It would also be, how do we get better? Right. Uh, it could be with the empowerment. It could be with, uh, I remember we, we forced everyone to read a book, uh, Crucial Conversations, mm -hmm. great book, and and say, okay, well, what'd you get out of the book? And you know, everybody was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, we're already doing this. I'm like, no, you're not. I'll give you an example, right? Let me stir up the pot a little bit, right? So, but having those conversations, having those, you know, uh, sort of, you know, so it's it's all about trust, right? At the end of the day, it's if you have a team that trusts each other. I think that's going to be a, a world class team versus right. uh, the trust is not there. Have you guys adopted any of sort of like the NIST NICE frameworks for job descriptions, job roles to help folks understand a little bit more about the a progression in a career path, you know, the types of skills or capabilities that they have to build and develop or be able to demonstrate? Yeah, we haven't we haven't based it on the, the job description on NIST. Uh, I think we had depended on the leaders to say what are the different uh, job descriptions for your area. So. You're right. Everybody wants to be able to say, I'm a, I'm a junior level engineer. How do I get to a senior level? What, what's the difference in that, in, in that, in those capabilities, right? You want to make it prescriptive somewhat, uh, not too prescriptive. You want to describe the skills and what are the capabilities. Um, but we did it basically from with our direct leaders being able to uh, say what are different, uh, hmm. what are different levels. And then how do those sort of match across, you know, if I have a cloud engineer, how is that different 
and a senior level engineer on the, the non-cloud team. Yeah, you know, my philosophy going back, you know, maybe 20 years ago with that kind of stuff was like, we didn't have any any job descriptions, roles, nothing. It was like, you figure it out, you know? Yeah. That was sort of the, when people would come and say, well, how do I get to that? I go, well, you, you need to figure it out. And it was like, it's I, I see I see the error. There, there's, in some ways, that's not probably the best uh, to get people uh, set up for success, you know, to some people, yes, they can figure it out. Um, but you know, kind of, uh, I could see how it could be a problem, uh, for, for some, and it's probably not the most fair, uh, type of situation. Um, and you give people more of a leg up to see where do they want to get to, or, how, you know, at least be able to understand like what, what are some of the skills needed in this area? And then they could, they could at least work on them, you know? So <laughs> I, I, I was just, it was re and, reminding me of the old days. Yeah, and, and it's a partnership with HR, right? Uh, yeah. We're not, you know, as technologists, we're not the most creative writers in the world, right? So it's uh, really sort of explaining what capability is, what a skill set is. Um, look, we, we partner with HR and do a lot of that, at least 50% of it. Absolutely. It, you can't get anywhere without, I mean, you, you, you can't start that really without HR because, you know, you don't really want to be off uh, writing job descriptions by yourself. <laughs> Get yourself way, in hot water. <laughs> the limits yeah. test is Outlook, right? So if you use uh, any of those Microsoft products like Outlook, everybody looks at Outlook to see what level you're at, right? And so instead of, uh, I know government has your level 55, your level 66 uh, at, at our corporate headquarters. It's, let me go look at Outlook and say, oh, Johnny is a senior level engineer. I'm just a regular engineer. Yes. So it's uh, it, it sort of prompts them to go, what do I need to do to get Oh, to yes. Yeah, we had a we had a pretty sophisticated phone book uh, at the company I worked with for a long time, and yeah, it was definitely around promotion time. It was like, oh, these people got these promotions, and then you get a flood of people coming in your office with, how do I get to that? And how did he do that? How did she do that? You know, <laughs> like, oh, jeez. No, and I agree with you. In the old days, it was a lot harder. It yeah. Was, well, but yeah, just you could tell. You could just look and see and tell the outlet. The, the yeah. Um, one of the things we talked about, uh, kind of when we did our, our pre-call Jose was uh, that I thought was pretty interesting too, was, uh, some of the, the insights when you, when you kind of got involved with, uh, you know, early on, uh, as a CISO, uh, some of your lessons that you kind of learned with communicating with executives, I thought was pretty interesting. So if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing just kind of what that was, that kind of the, you know, almost the, uh, the change or the, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of how did you have to sort of adjust what you were thinking about and presenting and, and all of that? Yeah, that was probably the, the hardest thing uh, I had to do, right? Because coming, you know, as Chris would tell you, coming from uh, service delivery development, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty easy. You have to deliver this and you have to deliver it by this time, right? And you would quantify everything in terms of, you know, if you were using Agile, how many story points are in this release, how many releases are we doing? So it was pretty quantified uh, and, pretty, and pretty easy. Uh, my first sort of month on the job, uh, I, I was told I was going to chair a, uh, a committee that I, you know, I was chairing and it was our chief operating officer, our chief risk officer, our legal counsel, our chief privacy officer, our CTO and our CIO. And they're all looking at me uh, and I said, okay, let me do what I've been doing for the last uh, 
26 years of telling you, you know, we had 18 malware attacks. We had 126 uh, network attacks. And, you know, it was delivery. This was uh, what I had grown up with. And they looked at me like, uh, okay, uh, let me say this nicely, but why do I care? <laughs> so, it, you know, what are the insights? Do we have enough budget? Do we have enough capabilities for defense? Do we, you know, do, are we taking a risk somewhere in our product space? So I think that was the biggest uh, change. I, I had to start looking at things around, oh, wait a second. Um, you need to sort of, I hate to call it an executive summary, but it was more about, uh, you know, what, what are the things that we should be worrying about, right? Are we allowing funding for accounts to be uh, too easy? Are we, are we sending out things via mail that we shouldn't do? Are we producing links in our emails that we shouldn't be doing? So it was really insights around um, where do we need to get to? Do you need money? And, and more importantly, how are we doing, right? Are we, you know, is it, do you have some kind of a risk index to tell us we're better than we were last month or better than we were a year ago or uh, we're actually in worse shape, you know? So I think that was, uh, that was really had to, you know, I don't want to call it how to do executive summaries and executive speak, but it was really, it was a whole nother level. No, I, I, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, it sounds more like they wanted to really know in a sort of a succinct, succinct way what's going on? What are you do? You know, what, how are we doing? Um, and what are you doing about it? <laughs> or what do you, and what do you need? You know, which I think is kind of refreshing actually. Yeah. The, the idea was to be a partnership, right? Tell us where we have to stack hands. So, and part of it was also that, you know, when things go wrong, we all agree, this is what we decided to do, right? It's not the security guy said to go do that and, uh, let's go beat him up. Right. Yeah. So uh, it was, it was great. It was eye opening in terms of uh, the partnership and, you know, uh, usually coming from the development world, you, you always had sort of conflict, right? Uh, I want to do it this way, but, you know, the business wants to do this. And it, this, this was a very, uh, it was a great uh, committee where, you know, how do we, and it was a partnership across the organization at that point. How do we, how do we partner to? to, yeah. to you know. I think a lot of CISOs learn that um, uh, growing up through the ranks, they get instructions. People tell them what the assignment is, right? And then to your point, Paul, they go and figure it out. But when you get to the, the top of the house, the CISO chair, all of a sudden, there's nobody, you know, clearly telling you what to do. They're expecting you to figure that out, right? Go through a process, help us feel safe that you've thought about everything, that you've considered all the aspects that you have, what you need, and how well you communicate that given their um, uh, different agendas, right? They may say, oh, I don't have the budget for that. Or I don't have, you know, I've got too many other parties, but you have to sort of reason with them and, and be patient and, and sort of help defend or, or justify or rationalize uh, your recommendations. Again, you are paid to make those tough uh, discussions, those uh, crucial uh, conversations, as you called it. Um, or, or to say, okay, you know, maybe let's figure out how and when you, you, uh, your your inputs and, and needs can be absorbed by the business, right? Sometimes you'll you'll say, "Hey, we need this," but it may take the time, the business time, to sort of understand or appreciate or to be able to accommodate what it is you're asking for as well. So I think there's a lot of lessons CISOs go through, um, both in communicating and in, in being sort of clear thought. Um, uh, what what are the the priorities that we need to focus on, and then ultimately coming up with a strategy, right? Because you may say. We need all these things. And then you have to go mobilize that into an action plan, right? Delegate tasks, get vendors on board, 
orchestrate you know the the coming and going of many many different stakeholders in order for the plan to succeed right uh, as well too so i think that those are evolutions and and we see that the longer folks have sat in the CISO chair they just they sort of maybe they get it or or they don't sit in that chair very long if, if they don't sort of get those basic skills so i think you've done an excellent job on strategy and planning just oh, just developing those processes yeah and it's uh look it's uh you know as my uh, dental hygienist says uh you know, experience is the best teacher, but boy, is the uh, tuition expensive. Right? So uh, <laughs> I has a nice little sticker on the wall for that. It's uh, it's, it's listening and, and, and adapting, right? It's uh, you can't, you know, you have to be able to pivot and say, okay, this is a new way of doing things. And, uh, you know, I think that's helped me throughout my career where uh, you just constantly say, here's what I don't know. Here's what I don't understand. And how do I, and it's the only way you're going to get better, right? Um, mm -hmm. You got to be able to understand that. No, that's re that's refreshing to hear. Um, listening and and learning and uh, always trying to get better is that's that's the key. Yeah. Did you develop individual relationships with like your board members or executives so that you could speak to them one on one, sort of outside of the committees and the forums? Yeah, at the board level, not so much, right? They are, uh, you know, I think they were a little bit more focused with the CEO and some of their own commitments. But I can tell you with, with uh, my chief operating officer, um, you know, let's talk about, you know, uh, sort of uh, servant leadership. The guy says, you know, one day says, oh, we got to go out to lunch next week. Like, okay, yeah, sure. You're, you're chief operating officer number two in the firm. Uh, yeah, look forward to this. So I'm thinking, you know, fancy meal, maybe we're going to go, you know, so we go across the street to uh, Aubampan, he gets a soup and a piece of bread, right? And I'm going, <laughs> okay, what, what exactly is going on here? But I got to tell you, it was one of the best uh, meetings I ever had. And he said, look, I'm just going to give you some feedback. Um, some of my observations are that, you know, uh, you don't look, I think the word he used was scared sometimes when you're presenting certain things, mm -hmm. right? So one of the most important things you need to do as a presenter is to give your audience context. And you could tell I had no idea what he was talking about, right? As, as I'm munching my <laughs> soup. He goes, let me give you an example, right? Let me, let's draw a picture of uh, a place out in Minnesota. And there's a father and son in a canoe. And there's a nice river. There's nice trees. And the sun is out. A very bucolic, beautiful picture, right? I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, okay, I get it. He goes, okay, now expand that framework. And as you expand that frame, you get to see that they're coming around a corner and they're about to go over a waterfall and they're about to die. I'm like, oh, it was not such a clear, you know, nice picture anymore, right? Now it's, 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 it's traumatic. He goes, that's what you as a speaker can do with your context whenever you're presenting to the board or you're presenting to my me. And I got to tell you, it was eye-opening. It was, uh, so those are the kinds of, you know, I think it depends on the other person as well, right? It, it's, that's why I always believe in giving back, right? Uh, paying it forward. And it, it's when you have mentors like that, which you've either chosen or haven't chosen, I think it's, uh, it's it, it, it really makes people more powerful. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Jose, I, I, uh, I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Uh, it's been really, uh, really great getting to know you a little more and, uh, and, and getting your insights on, on what it's like to, to be, uh, to be a CISO and, and, and what are you, what are you thinking about? Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. And uh, I, I love that webpage where you can see all the other TNT uh, uh, 
podcast as well as uh, on Apple and Google. So. Absolutely, yeah. No, we. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Jose. Uh, really, really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Thank you so much too for uh, pleasure helping me out. And uh, absolutely, we'll have you back again, of course. So good deal. All right, guys. Well, have a great uh, rest of the day, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so Take much. Care. Thank All you, guys. Right. Appreciate it.